Uh, so when I first met my now wife, Jillian, I was immediately infatuated with her. So much so that when I went home that day to my parents and my younger brother, I quoted the movie Elf, and if you remember this part in Elf, I screamed, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Now, my parents thought I was crazy, uh, and obviously that was a pretty mature claim to say that I was in love with someone who I didn't really know, and I had just met. What I was really saying was, uh, based on the little that I knew about her and based on what I saw in her, I was attracted to her and I wanted to get to know her more. But let's be clear, that was not love. <laughs> now, thankfully, we did become friends. I didn't scare her away because I wasn't obnoxious enough to say that to her yet. And we dated, got married, and 10 years later, I can definitively say that I am in love and I don't care who knows it. But that little outburst that I had that first day showcases, uh, gives, gives us a little glimpse of how we can easily misunderstand what love really is. You see, we, we throw that word around a lot. You've probably even used it today. We, we use the word love when we speak about shows that we like on Netflix, when we talk about food that makes us, you know, our souls and our stomachs happy. We use the word love to talk about the bands and songs that we listen to. You see, love is often equated with how things make us feel. And not just things, we equate love with how people make us feel. But true love, whether it's with significant others or friends or family, true love involves both emotion and action. Or another way to put it, and this is the phrase that I'd want you to, to keep in mind as we go into this passage, that love involves both delight and devotion. Love involves both delight and devotion. But if you pay attention to our culture and even ourselves, we tend to emphasize delight over devotion. We focus on the emotional realities of how things make us feel, and we downplay the action of sacrificially serving others. And there's, a, there's an issue with that. The problem is when we approach love emphasizing delight and not focusing on devotion, relationships can fall apart incredibly quickly. Love that is based primarily on emotion is a shaky foundation for any relationship. But when you look at true, deep love, again, whether it's romantic or love between friends, devotion is what makes love last. And that's what you see as the scriptures speak about love. The emphasis is placed on the action, on the devotion, not on delight. Now, that's not to say that delight isn't important. Not at all. Delight is absolutely a part of biblical love. But emotions are fleeting. They can't be fabricated or forced, but loving action, devotion, that is what can be prioritized in order to make relationships last, in order to truly experience love. The beauty of biblical love is the willingness to unselfishly serve others even when you don't feel like it. So why do I bring that up? Now, don't worry, it's not because we're getting close to Valentine's Day and I wanted to throw in some you know, cheesy plug for thinking about February 14th. We're not talking at all about that. It's because the passage that we're about to look at has to do with both devotion and delight. We're not going to see the word love in the passage, but we are going to see the community of believers who are devoted to and delighting in 
each other and the Lord. And, and as we look at this passage, it's, it, it's going to hopefully show us some of the core priorities that the community of Jesus followers ought to set at the forefront of their minds and lives. And uh, I just want to mention this up front. This is going to be a challenging passage because of COVID. We're going to read this passage and be like, we can't do this because of COVID. But my hope is to show this underlying principle that even under the restrictions and reign of Rona, we can devote ourselves to and delight in the Lord and each other. So if you have Acts chapter 2 pulled up, our focus will be 42 through 47, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 37 to give us kind of a ramping up to understand the context. We'll be, we'll be picking up at the end of Peter's sermon that we looked at last week, and we're going to see the response, but our focus is going to be 42 through 47. So starting in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as we look at this passage, I want to point out two realities that we see as we look at the early church. The first is the church is a community that loves God together. And the second that we'll look at is that the church is a community that loves one another. So let's first look at the, the fact that a, the community is a community of believers that loves God together. Do you notice in verse 42 what this community was devoted to in their relationship with the Lord? Look at verse 42. There's four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So that first thing, the apostles' teaching, uh, this would have been everything that Jesus would have taught his first disciples. So everything he spoke and preached, everything we have in the Gospels, uh, which is recorded for us in the Scriptures. Additionally, he taught them from the Old Testament and also told them that the Old Testament all pointed to him. So really we're dealing with all of the Scriptures is what they were devoted to. So this covers the entire Bible. The community of believers is a community committed to hearing and learning and applying God's Word. We're called to be a learning community. The second thing is they devote themselves to breaking bread. Now, this phrase is used twice in this passage, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but I think it's used in two different ways. Here, in the first way, uh, it most likely refers to what we call communion. 
So re, uh, remembering what Jesus did at the Last Supper when he broke the bread and he poured the wine and he said, remember my body and my blood shed for you and do this in remembrance of me. They devoted themselves to remembering the story of the gospel, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus and repeating it regularly as a central story of their identity. The third thing is that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And we'll talk more about this one uh, a lot in our second point. But, but for now, just know that the people were devoted to the other people whom God loved. God loves his people. And so the community of God's people also love God's people. They're devoted to each other. Finally, he says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. They prioritized speaking to God together relying on God, encountering God together. And notice down in verse 46 that day by day they attended the temple together. So this was a consistent and core aspect of their life together. I don't know about you, and, and maybe this is different in terms of COVID, but you know, just going to church on a Sunday sometimes is enough for us. Or maybe you have Wednesday youth group or some sort of small group every single day. They were going to the temple together because this is what they were devoting themselves to, a deep relationship with God. We could spend a lot of time talking about each of those uh, aspects, but, but Luke is just giving a, us a highlight reel and kind of skipping the stones over these core identifiers. But, but notice their devotion. And did you see, though, that it's not just devotion? Remember, love is devotion and delight. Did you notice the different emotions in this passage? Look at verse 43. There's, there's awe coming upon every soul. Verse 46, you see gladness as they eat together. Verse 47, they're, they're praising God together. So their devotion isn't just monotonous duty. There's devotional delight as they worship and love God together. They're devoted to Him and they delight in Him with one another. I want us to focus in on, on something crucial here that could be overlooked for being too obvious, and it's this word together. Do you notice that in this passage, it's all plural language? Together, everyone, all of them. They're worshiping together, learning together, praying together. This love for God is a communal reality. But I think that we often have a tendency to treat our relationship with the Lord uh, in this kind of rugged individualism. Uh, we we kind of equate a personal relationship with a private relationship. We, we really emphasize independence and how our personal walk with the Lord is. And, and honestly, we can kind of stiff arm people when you want to get, you know, digging a little bit deeper and talking about faith and some of those more uh, deeper realities. Now, this is going to sound strange, but when it comes to Christian community, I think we can learn a little bit from trees. Hear me out. There has been a scientific revolution taking place in our understanding of trees. For a long time, and I know this is getting really nerdy quick, but the assumption about trees in a forest is that they're kind of disconnected loners who happen to be growing up together and they're competing for water and sunlight and nutrients. But there's now a substantial body of scientific evidence that refutes that idea. That actually scientists are showing that trees of the same species are communal. 
I know that sounds crazy, but forest trees, they live cooperatively, interdependently in, in relationship with each other. This is going to sound like science fiction, but through root systems, they actually communicate to each other. Trees talk and they share nutrients and water. They're not competing, they're cooperating. And, and what, what they're talking about, they're warning through their roots about drought and disease and insect infestations. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy, but it's amazing to think that these trees, what we thought were competing against one another are actually cooperating together to help one another thrive and grow. And now our, our misunderstanding of trees is very similar to our misunderstanding of faith. You see, it's so easy to think that we're just standing side by side in the same forest, that we are reaching up on our own for nourishment from the Lord, but we remain independent of one another. When in reality, we are called to be interconnected, helping one another thrive and grow and reach up and mature in faith together. This passage calls us to reject rugged individualism, and recognize our communal interdependence with each other. Our call is to be a community that loves God together. We'll talk uh, practicals about that in, in a minute, but let's consider the second point, that our we're called to be a community that also loves one another. So we love God together, we love one another as well. So consider the, the horizontal relationship. We've talked about the vertical relationship between God and his people. What about how the trees interact with each other? How do believers interact with one another? Notice the devotion they had to each other. Look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, this word requires some defining because if you've spent time in church, as Matt called himself a church goer, uh, chances are you've heard this term used synonymous, synonymously with hanging out. So you'll, you'll hear like, hey guys, want to fellowship together? Or man, that was a sweet time of fellowship. It, it's often used and, and treated in, in more of like a hanging out, having fun together. But this word literally translated means sharing or participating or contributing. In the New Testament, it's used to talk about financial contributions or sharing in suffering with Jesus or partnering with missionaries in prayer and finances. In other words, fellowship is a relational commitment that costs you something. It's not just a potluck hangout after church. It is a relational commitment that costs you something. So ironically, we, we tend to use it exclusively about delight and fun, but more realistically, biblically, it's about devotion to other people. Fellowship is sharing yourself and your stuff with others. And, and look at how that plays out in this passage. Look at verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so someone in the community would, would have a need and other people in the community would sell their stuff and with the money, give it to those people who had financial needs. This is 
radical generosity. This is fellowship. These people loved each other, and it was marked by their devotion to caring for one another. But similarly, do you notice the delight? Look at verse 46. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This breaking of bread is probably being used in more of the the general uh, sharing meals together. And you notice that it's both with glad and generous hearts. They're not doing this out of duty. They're spending time together over a meal because they love and enjoy each other. I mean, a shared meal around a table is a perfect picture of devotion and delight. Think about the cost of preparation and groceries and time, but the joy of friendship and celebration. The church is a community of people that loves one another. In devotion and delight, we open up our wallets, our homes, and our hearts for each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help but look at this passage and just think about pre-COVID days. It's almost been a year since really we've been able to do this together. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, Thaddeus Stevens in particular. Uh, At at our large group meetings pre-COVID, we used to meet over the lunch hour. And what we would do is cram 40 people into a classroom. We would get people from the community to usually home cook meals and bring it. Uh, We would pray together, eat together, and then spend time in the Word together. And honestly, a big part of it was because of this passage. I mean, just think about how how crazy that sounds to cram 40 people unmasked eating food together in a classroom. That sounds very foreign to us, but but it's that sort of delight and devotion that's talked about here. But I just want to be honest with you for a minute and be a little vulnerable as I think over the last year. As I have gone into every week, there's actually been a sense of relief that I have felt in not having to organize that meal every Wednesday. Just being honest, it takes a lot of organizing, planning, especially when this guy has to cook for 40 people. You know, I, that's just not my skill set. It's, it's a lot of organizing and setting up the room, cleaning up the room, tearing down the room, and then leaving. It was just a lot. And I have even talked with my wife of, man, maybe post-COVID, we won't do exactly that because it's just a lot. The devotion, I've been thinking about the devotion that it requires and the duty that it requires. But recently, as I've gotten to spend time with those Thaddeus Stevens students, who I think some are in this room right now, I'm reminded of the delight that we were able to share in that room together over that meal. And even over Zoom, the goofing around that we can do together and the intentional time spending in the Word. And as I think about whatever it's going to look like post-COVID and whenever it's going to look like post-COVID, it's absolutely worth it to devote ourselves to that sort of sacrifice for the sake of community. The, The community of believers is called to give ourselves to love and sacrifice for one another. May we remember that we belong to God and we belong to each other. Our love runs deep. Our roots run deep because of our devotion and delight to the Lord and to each other. Now, I, wanna, I do want to talk about application and get practical, especially because of COVID stuff, but, 
But first, let me just mention three things about this passage that's important for us to recognize before we move into the practicals. I want to look really quick. They just said the reason, the result, and the reality. The reason for this community that loved God and loved each other is in that first paragraph that we read, verses 37 through 41. Just look at verse 38. Peter says to this group of people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The reason that this community was motivated to love God and love each other was because they had been forgiven of their sins. They had been loved by God in such radical and miraculous devotion and delight that that is what compelled them to respond in love for the Lord and each other. In other words, the reason, the core of this community is the gospel. Notice also the result. Do you see where this leads to in verse 47? That as they love each other and the Lord, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So the mission continues. In other words, if we only focus on community as an end in itself, it won't go anywhere. The mission needs to be on the forefront of our minds too as a result of our community. Thirdly, and this is really important, the reality of this community is this is like honeymoon phase for the church. I mean, this is the early church. They're excited. This is a lot of passion and uh, you know revival happening here in Acts chapter 2. But it doesn't stay like this for too long. I mean, this is like paradise for a blip. But in the very next chapter, we're going to start seeing opposition. So they had favor with all the people, but pretty soon they're going to get some pushback and some persecution. Another reality is uh, they're going to be scattered because of suffering. Uh, Also going on in this passage, there's this radical generosity people are sharing with each other. Well, guess what? This sort of distribution in Acts chapter 6 is going to be a reason for prejudicial overlooking of certain people groups. So it's not going to stay pretty for too long. In other words, the reality of this is the core principles of this church remain true, but this sort of community is hard to fight for, and it doesn't always look that pretty. And I think it's helpful to manage our expectations that, yeah, community like this is going to take work, it's going to be messy, there's going to be opposition externally and internally, but it's worth the fight. So as we consider this community, loving God, loving each other, let's end by talking application. Because there is a pandemic-sized elephant in the room as we consider this passage. Like how in the world do we apply this passage during COVID? Just the fact that I'm speaking into a camera and almost all you guys are at home or in your rooms by yourselves looking at a laptop or a phone Uh, is is evidence that this is pretty difficult to do right now. But first off, let me encourage you guys. Your attendance here tonight is evidence that you are still devoting yourself to God and each other. I just want to applaud you. Well done. I speak on behalf of our entire staff team that, that we're proud of you guys, that you are enduring in faith through a really difficult season. Keep devoting yourself to things like this. But I would imagine that there are so many obstacles that we think are in our way, hindering us from this type of community. And and there are. But 
What I want to focus on is the obstacle that is hindering our desire to devote ourselves. It's so easy to just isolate, separate, and do the bare minimum. But this passage calls us to radical love of each other and the Lord. And so, yeah, delight is going to be decreased in this season. It's not going to be as fun. I mean, we, we are kind of forced to like uh, do fun things on Zoom, even though we know it's not going to be anywhere near as fun as if we were together again. But this passage calls us to push through for the sake of each other. So let me ask you this question, and I really want you guys to spend time thinking about this question. How will you devote yourself this semester to loving God and loving one another? How will you devote yourself to loving God and loving one another? When it comes to loving God with others, uh, what can you devote yourself to in your campus fellowship or your church community? I mean, every one of our campuses has multiple ways for you to get plugged in. Bible studies, small groups, prayer times, special events. Whatever your involvement currently is, what is the next step that you can take to devote yourself to loving God with other believers? And then loving others. What is one step that you can take to love others uniquely during this time? Now, this takes some creativity some thing outside the box, and some commitment. It might mean, depending on your restrictions, where you're at on campus or off campus, going for walks in the cold. It might mean, uh, I know this is scary, but talking on the phone rather than just texting. It might be having fun and just playing games online together. It might be writing each other encouragement notes or sending each other care packages. Maybe it's setting up a prayer wall in your room and remembering the people who are in your fellowship and regularly praying for them. Devote yourself to one another. It is worth it to work hard, to delight in, and devote yourself to other people during this season. Let me just end by reminding us of the reason. It's because Christ devoted himself to you. And so we can, in response, devote ourselves to him together and to one another. Let me close this in prayer, and I hope that you'll stay around to talk more about this practically. God, thank you for the reminder of the type of community that you create through your spirit and the reminder that it is based on your love for us. We don't love you and each other out of duty or trying to earn your favor, but it's out of response to the love that you have shared for us. Would you help us by your Spirit step out in faith and devote ourselves and even find delight even in this unique season as we love each other and love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.